0: Castle. Sprite Castle Sprite Castle Sprite Castle The Robo Sprite Castle Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle the show in which we play discuss and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Data East's Karate Champ. Do you know what other game company Data East sued for releasing a game a little too similar to Karate Champ? Listen to this episode to find the answer to that trivia question. This game was recommended by E. Smith. Uh, Mr. Smith has recommended several games for the show, so if you would like to request a show to appear on Sprite Castle, be sure to drop me an E email you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RoboHara dot com. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's paperboy headlines. I got several emails between last week's show and this week's show, and even before I get to the emails, I want to mention uh, that I got a very generous donation from listener David Kidd. David, thank you very much. It is donations like this. I just expanded my online hosting. Uh, Sprite Castle was already moved up into the, uh, the cloud, quote-unquote cloud, uh, off of my home web server, but I just moved... Uh, Robohera.com and uh you don't know flack which is at podcast.robohera.com. so all of my uh domain and subdomains I just uh, expanded my hosting and moved those up there as well which is going to allow me to do several things it's going to first of all once uh everything is up and running and all the errors are worked out I'll be able to shut down my web server at home and I've been running that for 15 years uh, but uh, the time has come to get out of the uh, home <laughs> hosting business and move everything up, let somebody else worry about uptime and backups and things like that. So uh, thank you very much, David. I really appreciate it. Um, let's move on to feedback. You know, th- this is the great thing about this show. I love this is I got three messages here uh, and all three of them are from people that live in different countries. None of them are the United States. And I find that absolutely fascinating. So to all you people all over the world that listen to Sprite Castle, which is an amazing sentence, something I never thought I would say in my life. uh, Thank you so much for listening to the show and for sending me emails. It is really uh, my favorite part of this show. Uh, Oh, and playing the games. I like that part too, (laughs) but I love getting feedback. Uh, So the first email I got was from Manfred Bauer. He is from Germany and Manfred said, As he listened to the current episode of Sprite Castle, and that would have been uh, episode 23, Labyrinth. Uh, He says, a question came into his mind. Where do I find the 8-bit versions of the songs that I play for the King of the Castle Challenge? Is there a special site where those songs come from? And he mentions that he would love to look through such a site. And the answer that I sent back to him uh, is that uh, there are a few different websites that have Commodore 64 uh, collections of SID songs. There is the High Voltage. Uh, Sid collection, you could Google that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, of course, and find, uh, pretty much the most extensive collection of Commodore 64 Sid music out there. All of those songs have also been converted to MP3 and there's another website and the name of it escapes me right now, but I will, I'll link to that as well, where you could go online and either download or listen to, uh, the Sid songs in MP3 format. That being said, most of the time. What I do, especially if I have a specific song in mind for an episode is I go to YouTube and I type in eight bit and then the name of the song that I'm looking for. So they're not always Commodore 64 versions of the song. Some of them uh, are just done, you know, in eight bit style. But uh, so I do cheat a little bit on that, but uh, that's actually normally where I get the songs from. So anyway, thank you, uh, Manfred, for asking your question. My next question comes from Justin, who writes from New Zealand. Uh, Justin said he wanted to say how much he enjoyed the last episode. Again, that was number 23, Labyrinth. Uh, He says it's interesting to hear an American's perspective on the subject. Growing up, the general consensus seemed to be that the C64 and Amiga were popular in New Zealand and also in Australia and, of course, uh, in uh, uh, England, but not so much in the USA. And he says it was good to find out that, uh, it had fans over here. So yeah, you know, the, uh, Commodore 64, I think is viewed differently depending on where you are in the world. I know that in a lot of other countries because of its price point, the Commodore was very popular because it was cheaper than a lot of the other computers. Uh, it was cheap here too, in the States. Um, I remember, I mean, right off the bat, I know that when it launched, I think it was five ninety nine us, but it dropped real quickly in price like 299 and then 199 and um definitely by the mid 80s uh you could get a commodore you know a new one for 199 uh a lot of times cheaper than that and uh, uh used ones were even less expensive i remember I I definitely remember going to the store and getting a 1541 drive and the price was $188. That number sticks, uh, in my mind. And I'm pretty sure that you could get a C64 for around the same price at that time. So, um, but, but yeah, you know, the, the big problem that, uh, U S Commodore owners had was that so many of the games that were released, even the ones that appeared on BBSs were, uh, released uh, in PAL format, and so we had to wait for people to, cr- you know, crack those games and convert them to NTSC, and then, of course, for someone to upload them halfway across the world for us to get copies of those games. So sometimes it took a little while to get games, and I played a lot of games. I remember games like Paperboy, specifically uh, several of my favorite games that flickered really bad or had part of the score off the screen. So a lot of the games. Weren't perfect, but they were free, so we we played them anyway. Uh, Justin went on to write that he is uh, also 42 years old. He got his 64 in 1985 after going over to a friend's house and seeing Way of the Exploding Fist. Uh, oh, and also the Great American Road Race for the first time. It's funny that he mentioned Way of the Exploding Fist uh, because we're talking about a fighting game this week. He says he thinks it cost his parents $800 for the computer that he just had to have and that probably explains why bread and water were the staple diet for the next few months which is funny. Uh but poverty was a small price to pay for 8-bit gaming bliss and I agree with you there. If I uh, if my parents had told me we'll get you a Commodore 64 but you have to, you know, have bread and water, soup whatever for a while, I would have done it because uh, uh you know the the hunger Or that bland food is just temporary. But think of all the great memories we all have. From growing up with Commodore sixty four games. So uh, anyway, uh, the last thing he added at the end is uh, that he loves the, the game, not only the game Labyrinth, uh, but also the movie Labyrinth, and he also loves the Love Boat, which I mentioned uh, in the last episode. And I have been uh, continuing going through those Love Boat episodes. I think I'm up to like number twenty. It's so funny that after a while, they a lot of them kind of run together, you know. And uh, my wife is so sick of the Love Boat. <laughs> I watch one episode every night. I'm, I'm loving it, but anyway, so uh, thank you, Justin, for the email. The last email I got was from Etienne Weddingfield. Uh, I hope I said that right. Um, and, and, uh, uh, Etienne has written me before and I think I called him Mr. Uh, Weddingfeld <laughs> before because I wasn't sure how to pronounce his name, but I emailed him and he uh, sent me a video with a link that uh, had a pronunciation of his name. Uh, I'm so bad, you know, I mispronounce. Uh, regular words (laughs) on a regular basis. So people's names from other countries, I don't have a chance at. Uh, He asked, uh, he sent me a question and said, did I know that there's a Commodore 64 game called Flak? Now it's spelled slightly different. It's F-L-A-K. Etienne says he used to play it as a kid and that it was included on a compilation tape from Funsoft slash US Gold. And he sent me uh, links to a YouTube video as well as uh, uh, links to download the game. So I will add those links if you want to go check out Flack the Game uh, and and give that a shot. He says that uh, the last thing he said was he thought it might be fun for me to know that he listens to my podcast while walking with my dog around the town of Westervoet next to Arnhem in the Netherlands. I hope I said that right. So he is almost literally on the other side of the planet, listening to Sprite Castle. Again, I just think that's so cool. I mean, I would be happy if my neighbor across the street listened to this show, but just to know that um, uh, there's so many Commodore 64 fans all across the world and that people listen to this show and enjoy it. uh, It it is really the best thing. It really is the best thing about this show. So thank you guys for your emails. I really appreciate it. Uh, And now let's move on to news. Before I get started with Commodore 64 specific news, I did want to mention a couple of URLs I ran across this week. One is, uh, I've mentioned this before, I think, it is the gamebygamepodcast.com. That was a website that was set up by Shinto, and it has links to every known podcast that does shows in the format. I think Ferg with the 2600 game by game podcast, uh, maybe didn't invent the format, but has definitely popularized it, especially among the retro gaming community. And a lot of other shows have fallen in and, uh, adopted that format of going through picking a single system and going through that systems games, either chronologically or however you want to organize it. There's no way I could do a chronological uh, game by game podcast for the Commodore 64, we would spend the next 40 years just in 1982 and 1983. So, um, for Sprite Castle, I just jump around and, and cover uh, the games that I want to play and the games that you guys want me to talk about. But, uh, so if you are interested in finding podcasts, possibly for, uh, a computer system that you used to own or an old gaming system, go check out game by game and see if someone has, uh, put together a show for your favorite system. I also discovered a new podcast over the past couple of weeks called, uh, the UMB cast that stands for the upper memory block podcast. I thought a long time ago when I was brainstorming ideas for shows that I wanted to do, I thought about doing uh, a show dedicated to the DOS and early windows versions uh, of gaming like that era, you know, and, um, uh, that's, that's what he's done. And I've listened to the last, uh, three or four episodes and I am hooked. Uh, he, this, uh, uh, the host of the show, he does a great job of going into technical details. He talks about the history of the games, the development. It's one of those shows where, even if it's a game that you haven't played uh, or is it a favorite of yours, you're probably still going to like that episode. So uh, if you are into old uh, computer games, DOS games specifically, uh, go check out the uh, Upper Memory Block podcast. Uh, the last URL I wanted to mention is for breadbox64.com. Breadbox64 is a blog. Um, it's a, more of a... a not not a blog like someone's – I guess it is a blog in the sense that it has someone's personal uh, stories and information. But it also has helpful articles and reviews and things like that. And I'm always – I'm all for uh, Commodore 64-themed websites. So I will uh, – in fact, I'm going to uh, – by the time this episode comes out, I will have added a link to Breadbox 64, not just in the show notes, but I'm going to add it to the Commodore 64 links on the side of spritecastle.com. So uh, if you are interested in reading articles about the C-64, go check out that website. In Commodore 64 news, uh, Last on the last episode, episode twenty three, I talked about a release of the new version of Virtual C sixty four. That was version one four one, and now they've released version one four two. It's a, a minor release, but it has some bug fixes in there. This is again a Commodore emulator for Mac OS. So if you have a Macintosh, and I didn't hear from anybody that has a Mac uh, that uses an emulator for the C sixty four. So if you do have a Mac. Uh, and you want to try this, I'd love to hear how it works. Or if you use something else that's better, that works great, I'd love to know about that too. So drop me a line uh, if you are a Mac user doing C64 emulation. Last week, I think I forgot to mention that Virtual C64 is not just a Commodore 64 emulator, but it also runs C16 and Plus 4 games. So if you're looking for something that will run all those, check out Virtual C64 for the Macintosh. A port of the Commodore 64 version of Archon has been released on the web. You can run this in your browser, and which, you know, we all do emulation. We all play Commodore games. So being able to play it in a web browser isn't, you know, totally groundbreaking. But this new version that's in the browser supports uh, multiplayer online. So you can play Archon with a friend over the web. You just both load this. Uh, you go to the website. It's real easy to do. I tried it out a couple of days ago. It's really fun, really easy. And it is the port of the Commodore 64 version. So if you've always wanted to play Archon with somebody else, we are going to be covering Archon, uh, probably the episode after next. So, um, if, if you're not familiar with Archon, and you want to wait till that episode, uh, hang on for a little bit and we will talk about it. But if you already, if you want to go check it out or you're already a fan of it, then go hit that website and, um, you can get started our I'm not sure that's a verb and it shouldn't be. <laughs> I wish I hadn't said it. Uh, let's see what else we have. Oh, the, um, uh, the second uh, edition of the uh, visual compendium of the commodore 64 has already been funded uh it went this is a uh, a book from bitmac books the first edition was released in 2014 and they are releasing a second edition they put it up on kickstarter and it was funded in about 4 days uh so people really like the first book and i think they're really looking forward to this one it is a book full of full page most of them are like dual page spread color pictures uh, from Commodore 64 games, it's really, is a cool, um, coffee table style book. So if you have a coffee table and like artwork and are not married, then this is the perfect thing <laughs> for you. My wife, I don't know that my wife would let me put a Commodore 64 book on the table. She would, but, uh, I suspect it might get, uh, moved to another room when I'm not looking. But anyway, uh, so that's exciting to see this book. I, I love, uh, uh, seeing those things archived. And finally, I saw one game release. Uh, there was a re-release of Blasteroids. If you remember, Blasteroids was a sequel to Asteroids. There was Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe, and then Blasteroids, which added different types of ships and uh, you know all kinds of different firepower and things like that. It was a really fun game. And uh, Hokuto Force has re- re-released, I should say, Blasteroids. They added six trainers. Uh, this. Little press release says they added the documentation, updated graphics, NTSC fixes. Like to hear that here in the U.S. Uh, they added a high score saver. They fixed some bugs. So it seems like a really cleaned up version of Blasteroids. So uh, that is out there. Like I said, all of the links to all of the news stories will be in the show notes. So if you head over to spritecastle.com and check out uh, episode number 24, you'll be able to find links to all of those things. And now it's time to pronounce this episode's King of the Castle. I haven't done this before, but I have to say that this time there are two kings of the castle. So there are co-kings of the castle. I don't know. Who gets to sit in the throne? There's only one throne, so one of you guys has to sit in the throne. The other one can sit on his lap. Somebody can stand. You can sit on the floor. It doesn't matter to me. You guys work it out. But the kings of the castle this time are Jizabaz and Aardvark. (laughs) Jizabaz, a.k.a. Mikey, and Aardvark, a.k.a. Steve, are both listeners of the show. And not only are they listeners of the show, they are also friends of mine And they live in different states and I have met both of them in person, uh, on different occasions and they've been big supporters of the show. They, they're, like I said, they're, they're good friends. And, uh, so right off the bat, it tickles me that they listen to the show. I just like that. But they have sent in, uh, multiple guesses on, uh, the King of the Castle songs and they've uh, never been quick enough. You know, I, I know, uh, depending on when people work, I try to vary when I release the episodes to make it fair for people in different time zones and different parts of the, uh, the country and different parts of the world. But, um, you know, they've just never been able. And these guys, one of them sent me an email. The other one sent me. Uh, no, I think one was Facebook and one was Twitter and they were within one minute (laughs) of each other. And so, uh, I, I made the call and so I'm just going to call it uh, a tie because, you know, if it's a minute, it could have been a mail server. It could have been a delay somewhere in the tube. So I, I, uh. I'm just going to have to give it to both of them. So congratulations. Maybe one of you gets the throne. The other one gets the crown. You guys have to work it out. But anyway, uh, obviously the episode 23 song was David Bowie's fame. Uh, and the very simple connection was David Bowie also starred in the movie Labyrinth. I got more correct guesses on this episode. I think than I've ever got before. I, I, Got. Um, I know Rob Snyder sent me a correct guess on Facebook. Uh, Jim Fullerton, John Justice. I got messages from on Twitter. John Shearer sent me an email. Uh, Mike Valinsky. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, sent me the only correct answer through the uh, voice mailbox. I love getting messages through the voice mailbox, but I don't have any way to respond back to you guys. Um, and actually, sometimes I think when you leave the message, it does tell me the phone number, but I'm not just going to call you at home. Uh, you know, just call during dinner. Hey, this is the podcast guy that tracked you down. That's not creepy. And there were more correct answers, but those were just the ones I uh, uh, jotted down. Uh, I also got several incorrect answers. Uh, Cody Hoffman guessed that it was changes Uh, which is a different David Bowie song. And also uh, Mike Van Hoos guessed that it was David Bowie's Golden Years, which would have been a – both of those would have been fitting songs, I suppose. Uh, But uh, they were incorrect, and I did get a few other incorrect guesses. So that was – I thought that it was – uh, a pretty simple one, but you know, it, it's, they're all simple to me. Cause I, <laughs> cause I could, I pick them so I know what they are. Uh, but anyway, I think I got more responses on this one than I've got in a long time. So congratulations, uh, to everybody who sent stuff in. Thank you guys for playing along, but, uh, double special congratulations to Mr. Jizzaboz and Mr. Aardbark. So congratulations guys. If you would like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. And the one that I'm thinking of... Uh, there will be some sort of connection, but it's going to be one of those. You're going to have to think about it. So, uh, anyway, once you have identified the song, you need to send the song title to me and the connection to the episode, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox. Uh, and if you're the first person to send in the correct answer, You will be the next episode's king of the castle. All those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just crashed his bicycle into the side of my wife's car. Now you have a friend in the paper business. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl talking snack. So Karate Champ is all about karate chops. And I thought, what would be better than chop suey for karate chops? So uh, I told my wife, hey, we need some chop suey. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Now, apparently uh, her family growing up did not have Chung King, but does it, do you guys remember Chung King, like the Chinese food that you just got out of a big can? My mom used to make that and literally you just open it up, plop it in a a pan and heat it up or whatever. So we set out to go find some Chung King chop suey. And I don't know that um, she got the actual name brand uh, chop suey, but she did come home uh, with a can of chop suey. And so uh, that was what we had. We had some homemade Chinese food. We sat around and, uh, as we were, uh, eating the chop suey and also the homemade, uh, sweet and sour conglomeration <laughs> surprise bits of questionable meat, uh, in the other can, uh, we sat around and I told her about, uh, karate champ and we talked about what I should put into this episode. So that was, uh. Uh, This week's snack, while I was working on the show, we actually did have Chop Suey for all the chopping action that you're going to hear about in Karate Champ. The Karate Chops in Karate Champ. So, uh, with that being said, Karate Champ was published for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by Data East. It is a game for one to two players that uses joystick controls. This game was... Ported to the Commodore 64 or programmed by Berkeley Softworks. They released two games for the Commodore 64 Karate Champ and Kung Fu Master. But Berkeley Softworks went on to become GeoWorks, who you may have heard of as they released the Geos operating system, not just for the Commodore 64, but several different computer platforms. Data East. On the other hand, uh, released several games for the Commodore 64. I think it was 13 in all. Some of those games included Bad Dudes, Batman the Movie, Commando, The Dream Team 3-on-3 Challenge, uh, of course, Karate Champ, Kid Nicky, Radical Ninja, which was a fun game, Kung Fu Master, Tag Team Wrestling, and Vigilante. So they released several. Uh, I mean, most of these looking at this list are, maybe all of them are arcade uh, ports. I'm not sure about the Dream Team, but I think every one of these uh, is a port of a Data East arcade game. The arcade version of Karate Chant was developed by Technos and was distributed by Data East in 1984. The Commodore 64 version was adapted, is the word that it says, by Berkeley Software and distributed for the Commodore 64 by Data East in 1985. There are a few releases of this for the C64. There are at least two different versions of the box art that are available, and then the game was later re-released in a double package that included both Kung Fu Master and Karate Champ. Now, the arcade version, if you're not familiar with Karate Champ, uh, was originally released in a one-player-only cabinet, uh, in 1984, but it was re-released as a two player cabinet later that same year. So there are two different versions of that cabinet and karate champ is known for two things. Number one, it started the one-on-one fighting genre. It was, I believe the first, uh, game where two, you know, players could fight each other. It's also known for its unique controls in that each player uses two joysticks. So the one player version of the cabinet had two joysticks, but it was, uh, only for one person. Obviously the two player version of the game has four joysticks. So each person, uh, uses two joysticks to control their fighter. Now, normally something like this, I would talk about later in the trivia section, but It's so important to the history of this game and of the genre and computer games in general that I thought I would talk about uh, the famous Karate Champ lawsuit up front. In 1985, Data East released Karate Champ uh, in the United States. Also in 1985, uh, System 3 released International Karate, which you may have heard of. Uh, They released it in November for the Spectrum, and then they released it the following spring in April of 86 for the Commodore 64. Now, International Karate is very similar to Karate Champ. Uh, the biggest similarities, other than two karate people fighting each other, is that it has a judge that issues a half point and a full point to, uh, for as a scoring system, which is the same scoring system that Karate Champ uses. Um, now, international karate graphically actually looks much better than Karate Champ, but stylistically they are designed almost identically. So that game, uh, was then licensed by Epix in 1986 and was released in the U S as world karate championship. So that is the same game as international, uh, international karate, but it was renamed world karate championship for the U S release. So once it was released data East, uh, filed a lawsuit against epics, uh, and they alleged that epics game, uh, infringed on Data East copyright for Karate Champ. Uh, so this went to uh, the uh, like the district court, and they granted Data East a permanent injunction that prevented Epics from selling World Kalachi. Uh, <clears throat> I almost said World Kalachi. I would love to see a game called World Kalachi Championship. Uh, but no, uh, Epix was not allowed to sell World Karate Championship. And, of course, they appealed this decision. Now this went up to the Ninth Circuit Court. uh, And the Ninth Circuit Court did the following. They they ran the following tests uh, between the two games. First of all, I guess the first test to see if uh, copyright has been infringed on is they looked to see if Epix had access to Data East's source code. And the answer to that was no. Obviously it had been uh, designed independently and they hadn't they didn't have any inside knowledge of the game Karate Champ. Uh, Now, they did note that there was a substantial similarity between the two works. Obviously, it's two games where karate people, a red guy and a white guy, uh, fight each other and you use a joystick to do moves. You have the judge uh, that does a scoring system. So, then they looked further into that. Now, the one... uh, Part of copyright law that they fell back on is that copyright, this is a quote, copyright protects only an author's expression of an idea, not the idea itself. So, uh, in other words, you can't copyright a karate fighting game. Now you can copyright specific things about your game, like the names of the characters, uh, things like that, but you can't copyright the idea of a karate fighting game. So they made a list. They went through all the similarities And ultimately they ruled that the similarities between the two games were inconsequential. In other words, uh, if you were to have a fighting game with two people, it made sense that one would be wearing white and one would be wearing red. Like that doesn't define your game or that it's very likely that in any karate game, you would be able to perform punches and kicks, things like that. So uh, those weren't, ruled uh, as copyright infringement. And then the final test was they looked at the game's target audience, which they determined to be a 17.5 year old male. And they determined that a person, a 17 and a half year old male could determine between the two games. So based on that, they lifted the injunction and Epix was able to uh, go back and, and sell world championship karate. This is all documented on a website, uh, called patentarcade.com in an article that was written up in 2005. And that's another link I will put in the show notes. It's it's great reading. And it's very important. It was an important decision because if if this had gone the other way and Data East had been granted this permanent injunction, then we would only be able to have one space shooter game. We would have only been able to have one platform type game. You know, I mean, that's basically what, uh, data East was saying was that we started the person versus person karate fighting game and didn't want anybody else to do that. So had, you know, that ruling stood the whole history of video games and arcade games could have gone down a different path, but the ninth circuit ruled that they could, uh, make similar type games, and I suppose, uh, as they say, the rest is history. So in pop culture context, obviously, in the early 1980s, karate was huge. Ninjas were huge. Revenge of the Ninja came out in 1983. Uh, the Karate Kid came out in 1984. There were all kinds of uh, karate movies, ninja movies, movies. Uh, people were signing up to take karate at the Y I signed up for karate. That's, you know, around the time I started taking karate was, uh, uh, 82, 83. So karate, Kung Fu, all these things were on people's minds. So it was a very popular, uh, it was popular in in pop culture. And so it just kind of makes sense that, uh, that there would be an arcade game that would come out of that. So I think that's probably the tie in. The box, as I mentioned, has uh, two karate people. One is facing forward. The other one's flying through the air. There were two slightly different versions. I don't know that one's more rare than the other or worth anymore. Um, This is another game where one version of the box and manual were uh, designed And a foil sticker on the outside of the box determines whether it is the Apple II version or the Commodore 64 version. And the manual contains instructions for loading the disc on either platform. So there's just one manual. Uh, I did like the object of the game listed in the manual. Uh, It says, your objective is to flatten your opponent as often and as quickly as you can by deftly executing the kicks and punches at your command. Uh, does that rhyme? I didn't even notice that before. As quickly as you can punches at your command. I mean, it's not Shakespeare, but <laughs> it's kind of close. I like that. Uh, there's also a complete list of the scoring and the moves. And we'll talk about that later on in the show. When you boot the game, we come up to a title screen. It says karate champ, uh, it has the game's logo. The word karate is written in that stereotypical, uh, uh I think it's called on print shop I want to say it was called Oriental. Um but it is that the karate font that everything used in the nineteen eighties, anything that said the word karate, you always saw it in this font. And then the word champ is is on fire. <laughs> it has flames coming off it. So you are the karate champ. Uh it says the arcade hit from data east. Then it has Data East logo. Then it says adapted by Berkeley Softworks and it has their logo. And then at the bottom it says copyright 1985, Data East. I'm always amazed. You know, the title screens on a lot of these games uh, make me wonder like, how many times do they have to say their own name and put their logo on there? I mean, this says Data East you know, three times on a single screen. It's like, we get it guys, you know? Uh, But anyway, once you get past that, it goes to a demo and you can watch the game and watch the fighters uh, fight. And, you know, a lot of time when I was doing research on this game, I just let the demo run and and I enjoyed listening to the little music interludes and and listening to the people fight. So I thought that's cool. I always like games that have a a demo mode that will uh, play for a while. Once you're ready to start, you will move to the menu screen. There are multiple options here to configure before you get started. You can choose whether the white player is human or a computer and also whether the red player is human or a computer. So this is where you would set up, uh, one, two, or possibly zero players. I suppose, uh, you can configure the number of matches you need to win from one to 20. That would be a long game of karate champ. <laughs> and a longer game of World Kalachi Championship. (laughs) Uh, We have a computer skill where you can set it from zero to nine. uh, And then below that, you review options and start the game. And one thing I thought was funny about this is uh, over the years, over time, people have figured out how to design menus, Uh, obviously in Windows, uh, you know, or any type of GUI We know that you can move the mouse, click on things, and click OK or cancel. That that sort of thing where it's it's intuitive, and I find it amazing that as when I booted this up, I couldn't figure out how to do the menu. Uh, You had to hit spacebar to toggle the options, and then return to move down to the next line. I was trying to hit the arrow keys. I was trying to use the joystick, uh, and I just find it funny that you know that there would be so many different ways to handle a simple menu screen. Uh, Also. once you get into the game, uh, the function keys have three different uh, options. Uh, I'm going to list them backwards. F7, down at the bottom, pauses the game. So if you're playing and you need to pause, you can hit F7. F5 turns the sound on and off. So if you want to play this quietly uh, you know, and you don't want to just turn down the volume, you can turn the sound off that way. But F1 immediately quits the game and returns to the demo mode. Uh, so you know, back in the days of downloading software, very rarely did we also get instructions or manuals. Now, later on, we got what we called docs, uh, which was short for documentation, which is not the same uh, word the way that we use it today that hackers use when they reveal someone's personal information and they dox them. This was uh, what we, you know, if you had a game and, and you might also download, you'd say, hey, do you have the docs? That meant, did you have the manual or the way to play it? But if you didn't have that, the way we played most of these games was that we would download them and then randomly hit keys to see what they did. So this is almost a dirty trick, you know, because F1 would be a button that I would always hit and immediately it aborts your game. It goes to the demo. So, uh, I don't know if that was intentional to thwart people that didn't know what that button did, but it just seems like a, a bad place to put that. It could have at least put it maybe in a shift function key or something. I don't know. Uh, so anyway with that selected, you will uh, begin the game and you will be facing your opponent. If you're player one, you'll be on the left. If you're player two, you'll be on the right. Uh, All the moves are listed for the person on the left, and then you reverse them if you're on the right. So in other words, uh, if a, a jump or if a punch is the button and to the right, if you're the white player, then it would be the button and to the left. If you're the red player. So it just depends on which way you're, you're facing. Everybody knows at karate champ, uh, that the worst possible thing is when you jump over your opponent and then flip around and suddenly all your controls have been reversed. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> in both the home version and the computer version, or I'm sorry. Yeah, they'll have a computer version, uh, but also the arcade version player one. Most people play player one when they're practicing this game. So if you are suddenly playing player two for the first time, all the controls have been reversed and you're at a definite disadvantage. So, uh, that's why you always want to, uh, try to be player one if you can. Anyway, I will run through these as quick as I can, because there are a lot of maneuvers you can perform in Karate Champ, Going, uh, starting with the uh, joystick up, and this is with no button pressed down. We'll go, uh, I guess this would be clockwise. Up jumps, up right does forward flip, right walks toward, down right is a low kick, down is squat, down left is an about face slash back kick. Left is block slash walk backwards. Upper left is a backflip. Then if you do those same moves, but with the button pressed down, up is a jumping sidekick. Upper right is a upper, upper lunge punch or round kick. Right is a middle lunge punch or front kick. Down right is a front foot sweep, down squatting reverse punch, down left back foot sweep, left is a background kick, and upper left is a jumping back kick. Now, in some of those, I said slash, like for example, uh... Upper right is a upper lunge punch or a round kick. The game determines which one of those moves to do based on how far you are away from your opponent. Uh, So it does it automatically. The one that you have to get the most used to is moving backwards because uh, if you're moving forwards and your opponent is not attacking you and you press away, you'll walk backwards. But if they are throwing uh, a punch or an attack and you press left, you'll automatically do a block. Now, it's tricky because if you are walking backwards and you never let go, it won't switch to a block for you. Uh you'll just be walking backwards and your opponent will kick you in the face. Uh so um you have to, you know, actually press left after they launch their attack to do the block. I uh you you can um blocking's actually pretty easy as long as you're not trying to uh, walk backwards at the same time. So anyway, uh, the gameplay, obviously, if you're not familiar with this game, it is the best two out of three rounds. There are nine different, uh, it says picturesque settings. That was another thing that was different, uh, in the lawsuit. They mentioned that the settings were different (laughs) between this and world championship karate. So, uh, uh, that was, that was, uh. Something that helped the that seventeen point five year old male <laughs> determine the difference between the two, uh, but it's best two out of three. So you can win one, they can win one, and uh, whoever wins the third one would be the tiebreaker. Obviously, that is something we've seen carry through even to modern uh, fighting games. I don't know what new fighting games are out there, but you know all the ones. Uh, I played the the newest Mortal Kombat, and it's still best two out of three. So that's something that this game started and still continues uh to today each round lasts 30 seconds unless it ends by someone getting uh, all the points you can score either a 0.5 which is a half point or a full point and the game determines uh which one you get based on uh, you know if you timed it perfectly if it was perfectly placed you get a full point otherwise you get a half point you get a lot of half points in this game uh The uh, two points, like I said, ends the round. Uh, If there is a tie, then like, for example, if you both only have one point, then the tie goes to whoever scored more points. Uh, So if you did a thousand point move, they only did a 500 point move, then you would win, even though uh, you have tied. (laughs) In between each round is a bonus stage. This is carried over from the arcade. It appears here too. There are three bonus stages. Uh, There's one where you avoid flower pots, where you jump around. Uh, There's one where you break boards, which is done by uh, hitting right when your power meter is right at the very top. And then there's a third one where you must knock out a bull that is charging towards you, um, which... I'm trying to think if I've ever done that. I've done it on the arcade version. I don't know that I've ever pulled that off on the Commodore version for some reason. Um, so anyway, you have all those moves, uh, and then in the the scores are also listed in the manual. Again, each move has two scores, uh, one for a uh, half point, basically a one for the full point. And it's listed as perfect and non-perfect. And each one is half of the other score. So, a uh, jumping back kick, for example, can be either 500 or 1, a thousand round kick could be 300 or 600. I think one of the lowest ones is the punch, which could be 100 or 200. So obviously the moves that take longer to throw like a spinning heel kick or the jumping back kick, those are the ones that are, uh, worth the most amount of points. The manual lists, uh, several hints For the game, I think it has seven hints, and each one is uh, a bold headline with the hint, and then there's a little paragraph explaining it. I won't read all of those, uh, but the hints are number one, mastering your moves, which basically says, you know, if you memorize what move, uh, you know, how to do each move, you'll have an advantage. Properly executing moves, and it says, don't, uh, you know, start to throw a kick and then let go of the joystick because you won't continue the move. So you have to hold it until uh, the move has been uh, executed. There's faking moves, which is where you exactly that you start to throw a kick and then pull it back and then do a different move. If you are able to do that against the computer, you are better than I am because uh, this game, the computer's pretty good and it moves pretty fast. Uh, you also have holding moves and blocks, which it says, uh, you know, if you just hold the joystick, then you'll, you'll be stuck in that mode. Um, speeding up moves and storing moves. It says that's not possible. So don't try that, uh, selecting between two possible moves. And that's where I explained about, uh, where the computer will determine, uh, you know, between two different moves that have the same control. And then there are three paragraphs explaining what I explained about the, uh, blocking and walking backwards for reviews. Of Karate Champ, there's one review that everyone links to, it appeared in Zap Magazine, and they gave Karate Champ a 52%, um, and basically their summary was that this game is dated, and that other games have done this better. Here's the problem with that review. It was written and released in 1987. This game was released for the Commodore 64 in 1985. So, um, by the, 1987, I will agree with them. There were other fighting games by then. You had World Championship Karate and uh, International Karate (IK Plus), uh, uh, Way of the Exploding Fist. All these different fighting games. But when this came out, you didn't have those. So I think it's a case of comparing apples and oranges, or maybe comparing apples with apples that, you know, were purchased two years prior. Obviously that one is a little rotten now, but at the time it was a pretty good apple. So I don't fully agree with this review. Um, I think that the game is, is better than that, it it may not be better. Yeah, you know, obviously, if you compare it to Mortal Kombat ten years later, yeah, this looks really archaic. But if you compare it to things at the time, I don't think it was that bad. The ports of this game, well, uh, obviously, it started out in the arcade. We talked about that. It was ported to the Commodore sixty four and Apple II by Berkeley Softworks. Uh, the Commodore sixty four version is much better. Uh, in almost every way. It is graphically superior. Uh, On the Apple version, it is a, the two karate guys, there's a blue guy with orange hair and an orange guy with blue hair. Um, The judge on the Apple version has orange hair with a green shirt and purple pants. Uh, So they were just stuck with that limited Color palette. So even though the graphics aren't that much better on the C64, the 16 color palette really makes the game stand out. Um, The other thing that I noticed about the Apple II version of this game is that there are no fight sounds, whereas the Commodore 64 has uh, the good music and it has good sound effects when you're playing a game. So if you have a choice between the two, the Commodore 64 version, uh, and and I have said many times before in this show, there are Apple versions of these games that are uh, better than the Commodore 64 versions, but this is a case where the C64 one is much better. Uh, the following year, in 1987, it was released for the NES. So that's all the classic ports. But if you want to play this game today, I have good news for you. Number one, it was released uh, for iOS. So it's available on the iPad and the iPhone. The joysticks are virtual. They're at the bottom of the screen. So you put your thumbs on it to control the moves. And I checked iTunes. That is available for $2.99. There's also a version available on the PlayStation four under Sony's arcade archives series of games. It's seven 99, seven 99 seems a little high to me for karate champ. Um, eh, I don't know about that. If you wanted to I guess if you really wanted to do it on the PS4, but, uh, uh, 7 dollars that version. Uh, obviously, you can always play this game in MAME, but you will have to go in and do some work on your configuration and configure MAME to know that you have two joysticks, or, I mean, I guess you could play it with keyboard, I mean, two sets of keyboard controls, but that, it would be tough to be very good at the game uh, doing that. I've added a new section to the show. Someone emailed me. I'm sorry. I forgot who it was. It was a, actually, it was a comment on Twitter. Someone asked me if I ever looked these games up on eBay, which is kind of funny because very few of these games do I own original copies of, uh, back then, you know, we, we just downloaded them and I do have, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you'd call it sizable. I probably have maybe a hundred boxed C64 games. No, nah, not that many. I probably have 60 um, but, uh, I don't have an original, this one, but I did look it up on eBay. The, uh, version I talked about, the dual release version that had both karate Cham and Kung Fu master. There is a buy it now version of that on eBay for $20. Um, that's in the U S there's a UK seller also selling that same game for $7 um, you can get the manual and disc loose without the box. I found one for five ninety eight. 98 buy it now. And there's also one auction with that, uh, alternate box cover artwork for $15. So if you, I'm not asking anyone to do this, but if you do ever buy, uh, a copy of a game, you know, uh, that I'd cover on the show, take a picture of it or take a picture of you with the game, send it to me. I'll, I'll throw it on the feed or, or tweet it out or something like that. I think that'd be kind of cool just because, uh, you know, as a kid, I didn't have money. I didn't have the means to buy all these games. But now as an adult, I I feel bad because, you know, a lot of these companies went out of business. And not specifically because of me. Um, I mean, the, the market, you know, obviously changed. But, uh, you know, n- and now it's like I can afford them. So I do buy a lot of stuff. Uh, so if you, you happen to buy one or have an original or whatever, I'd always love to uh, uh, see a picture of that. And now let's get on with my personal memories of Karate Champ. All right, time travelers. First time I saw the arcade version of Karate Champ was at my local bowling alley. This would have been, I don't know, that I would think that the game would have been pretty new, maybe 85, 86 possibly. And one of my best friends, Justin, lived in Norman, Oklahoma, which is about a 45-minute drive uh, from my house. And he liked Karate Champ. There was a um a Gold Mine arcade in the mall near his house and I had a Karate Champ in this uh uh, arcade, you know, at the bowling alley near my house. So we would each play karate champ and in between the two of us was Malibu grand prix. Now, if you've, uh, listened to, I think I may have told this story on you don't know flack and it's uh, obviously it's in uh, my book invading spaces, but, uh, uh, Malibu grand prix was, uh, a place where you raced go-karts and also played arcade games. And it was right in the middle of where Justin lived and where I live. So the two of us would practice playing Karate Champ in our own towns and then get our parents to drive us to Malibu Grand Prix where we would hang out. There was an arcade right next to there, too, Crossroads Mall. That was the home of Bally Le Mans Arcade. So I think both of those places had Karate Champ. But specifically, I remember going to Malibu Grand Prix so that we could play Karate Champ. So we we did that many times, you know, and I, I have several memories of us specifically going to that place, Malibu Grand Prix, just to play Karate Champ. In the mid 1990s, when I was, uh, well, I, you know, it would have been later than that. I'm sorry. It would have been uh, maybe around 2000, 2001, when we were really ramping up and I was starting to really collect arcade games. I bought a lot purchase from a local seller. I bought five games, and one of them was Karate Champ. And I got the machine home and started cleaning it up. I opened it up inside, and in the bottom of the machine, It was filled with Malibu Grand Prix tokens Uh, and there was only one Malibu Grand Prix. It was the one over on the South side of town. And so somehow I had ended up purchasing the karate champ machine that my friend Justin and I used to play as kids. So that was of all the machines I had, I mean, that and 720, I mean, because the story of that, and just because I love 720 so much, those were my uh, favorite two machines that I owned. Now you couldn't always get your parents to drive you to Malibu Grand Prix or even to the arcade. So now Justin and I had met over, uh, through the Commodore. He had a, a BBS and I called his BBS and and we had met, uh, and we, we'd actually met, um, uh, copy fest in person for the first time. So, uh since we both have Commodore computers, we ended up getting a copy of Karate Champ, so we could practice playing those at home too. So if he came to my house or I went to his house, uh we could also battle in Karate Champ. But uh uh you know I, I think that by the time we got Karate Champ, uh International Karate and We of the Exploding Fist had already come out, which are superior fighting games for the C sixty four. So I don't think that we played this one that much. If we did play karate champ, it would have been just because we had that uh, sentimental attachment to the actual machine that we enjoyed playing, uh, in the arcade. Uh, I did talk about around this same age that I took karate lessons. Uh, I talked about that in depth on the, you don't know, flack episode of, uh, of ninjas, which uh, is one of those episodes that, uh, <laughs> It's a people's favorite episode. I, it was a weird one, but I, I enjoyed doing that. So, uh, I, I'll add a link to that as well. If you want to go listen to, uh, that episode, but yeah, karate champ was a, a fun game and definitely it did kick off that fighting genre. So, uh, whoever was, it's the other game. I remember where the winner stayed up, you know, it was two players. So if you were the best and you were player one, then you could have people line up coming to player two to try to take the belt from you. But, uh, I don't think so. For graphics, I give Karate Champ 3.5 out of 5 cans of chop suey. The graphics look really good. If you look at thumbnails of this game, compared to the arcade version, they look pretty close. For music, I also give the game a high rating. I give it 4 out of 5 cans of chop suey. The music in this game sounds almost identical to the arcade version. For sound effects, I give it four out of five cans of chop suey as well. Uh, The the fighting, the punching, and kicking, the sound effects are dead on. Unfortunately, for overall gameplay, I can only give this game two and a half out of five cans of chop suey. It doesn't hold up. There are many better fighting games for the Commodore 64. I've mentioned them in the show. So if you love Karate Champ, go check this out. But if you get frustrated, you might try one of those other games. for tuning in to Spry Castle. The next game I will be covering is 1982's Radar Rat Race by Commodore. If you would like to play Radar Rat Race before the next show is released, head on over to Spritecastle.com and click on the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at RoboHare at RobOHara.com Contact me on Twitter at Commodore Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Sprite Castle or leave me a voicemail on the Flat podcast hotline at 405 ydkf Spritecastle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Throwback Reviews and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at robohair.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to punching bulls in the face, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.